When Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, some wise men from the east came looking for him so that they could worship him. They were into astrology and they saw his star. To them, the celestial testimony meant something important. But when they approached the king of Judea at that time, a man named King Herod, Herod was not interested in anyone being worshipped except himself. And so he called a meeting with religious leaders and priests and asked the wise men, what is this all about? And so these wise men referenced the Old Testament prophecies about a Messiah and a Savior being born in Bethlehem. They told him how this baby born would be the king of the Jews. Well, Herod thought he was slick. So he says, you know what, guys, you need to go and worship him. Then come to me because I want to worship him personally. Yeah, right. When it was time for them to leave after they found Jesus and brought him gifts, God warned them in a dream about Herod's intentions about what they wanted to do to Jesus. And so look what happens next in Matthew 2.16. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And this is of a serious title, but it's a serious topic. And so today, for a little while, I want to preach on this topic. Killing the cradle. Killing the cradle. You see, there's crime everywhere in our world. Murder started with some of the first human beings in the world. Cain killed Abel early on in Genesis. All of it is sinful and wrong. However, I do think there is something pathologically wrong with the human being that is willing and capable of murdering children. To be willing to extinguish the life of someone so innocent and so young, you're unstable. Herod's desire to kill Jesus may not have been based on his egotistical drive to be the only king and the only one worshipped, but also if Jesus was to be a deliverer to the Jews, Herod was the one in charge of those Jews. If he lost control of them, he would have no political career or possibility of ascension into a higher-ranking Roman official. So the easiest thing for him to do would be to step in and murder the child before he's ever capable of stepping up to that throne. What you need to see, though, is this is not just an isolated story in the Bible of Herod, this sadistic, crazy one individual. When you look at the story of our world, the devil himself is just a fallen angel. He fell from heaven because he wanted to be like God. He, too, wanted to be the only one that was worshipped. He felt like his ways could be equal to the ways of God, so he was cast out of heaven along with one-third of the angels. And the devil is looking for people now, as we talked about a little last week, that he can deceive into questioning God, disregarding his word, and following his way. And so you will find that the devil will aim to start his mission at a very young age. He does not wait until you're old enough to vote, old enough to drink, old enough to serve in the military, until you're old enough to get married or the first child that you have or when you get your career. He doesn't wait for that. He has no decency about him. You know, we think people have a decency, a common decency. The devil has no decency about him. His goal is to attack and to kill our children. He did it with Jesus, and he also did it with another Old Testament deliverer way back in the book of Exodus. Exodus 1, verse 5, it says, In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt. This is a bit of a long passage, but if you don't know this story, it's important, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending an entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. They're in Egypt. And so eventually a new king comes to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph or about anything Joseph had done to help them. And so he just looks around and says, these people are getting greater, stronger than we are. I see a problem here if they ever turn on us. 
He says, we got to make a plan in verse 10 to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and then they'll escape the country. He says, so verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. Now, how do you, how do you go from being a free person to all of a sudden the next day they're like, hey, I made a decision, you're a slave. You better believe there'd be some fight if somebody decided to do that, I would think, in Liberty, Missouri, or the United States of America. And so he says, they, they forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as, as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and grew. And so, uh, in verse 13, the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar with bricks and do the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shepra and Puah. And just in case you're going to have a, a baby girl anywhere, those are great names. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. And if the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Imagine that job. A midwife, hey, we're bringing life into the earth. Maybe this is something that they, I don't know how it worked. Maybe it's like us where you want, oh, I want to help deliver babies. This might be a wonderful thing. And now you're being called upon by the highest authority in your land and your nation Hey, we need your help. The minute a baby's born, if it's a boy, you kill him right there. If a girl, let her live. And so the midwives, midwives, because they feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. So they let the boys live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the, re the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly we could not get there in time. <laughs> hey, you got to think fast on your feet, right? So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply and growing more and more powerful. Even though they were trying to be snuffed out, trying to be killed, they just kept multiplying. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Everybody. Throw every newborn boy, Hebrew boy, into the Nile River, but let the little girls. So now everybody has a license to kill. You see any Hebrew boys being born? Check them out and toss them in the Nile River. This is a historically accurate fact because they have found ancient hieroglyphics and things that show babies being thrown into the Nile River around this ancient time. This is, this is not just a, a, oh, a, well, that's if you're a Bible believer. No, this is a historical fact. This happened. In these two stories of killing the cradle, we see the enemy has always been concerned with two key components of the redemptive story. Number one, the deliverer. And number two, those who might follow the deliverer. All through history, the enemy has been concerned with both. The deliverer and anyone who might follow the deliverer. The enemy tried to kill Moses in the cradle, but God intervened in the most marvelous and miraculous way. The enemy tried to kill Jesus in the cradle, but God intervened in the most marvelous and miraculous way. And here's possibly the most important thing you need to hear today, and that is the enemy always wants to kill truth at its inception. He went after Adam and Eve early in their story. I mean, he didn't wait for them to get established. I feel like we read the story, yeah, yeah, and there's a woman from the rim and call her woman, and her name's going to be Eve. Next thing. And the serpent entered and said, how God said, whoa. That was fast. He went after Cain and Abel early in their lives. He tried to end the life of Moses, the deliverer, before his story could even start. He tried to discourage David early in his calling. 
He tried to kill Jesus so there would be no Messiah, no Savior. The devil's mission has always been to destroy the righteous seed. He figured, if I can stop the Savior, then maybe I can finally step into the role that I've always wanted. But God took on flesh. And he was born of a virgin. He paid a price on Calvary and he won. But now he's chosen to fill his people with his spirit. And he commissioned us to go make disciples. To go and teach the world about a new birth. He clearly defines new birth in John 3. When, when Nicodemus is confused, well, how do you enter in a mother's womb again a second time? You get born, this makes no sense. And Jesus clarifies and says, except you're born of water and of spirit. What's he talking about? Water baptism, spirit infilling in Jesus' name. Or, and, and, or spirit infilling, water baptism in Jesus' name. And he's, he's referencing these things, making it clear what new birth is. And so he's empowered spirit-filled believers to go and reproduce themselves spiritually. And that's why he calls it new birth. He did not fill you with his spirit just to get you to heaven. He says in Acts 1.8, you have been received power to be witnesses. So he is not only giving you his spirit as a, not as a special prayer language alone, not just to get to you to heaven alone, but he puts something in you to say, hey, I'm giving you the authority, the power to go reproduce yourself spiritually, and there should be new birth that takes place. And when new birth takes place, I'm calling you to be someone who disciples them. Your job is not just to make sure the birth took place and then say goodbye, but to make sure they are nurtured and cared for and loved. But guess what this now means? You now become enemy number one of the devil. Because it, throughout time, his story is not just in the deliverer. It's the deliverer and anyone who will follow the deliverer. More specifically, who he goes after is our new spiritual babies. Because you're producing, you're reproducing something that becomes the devil's number one target. I'm not talking about just your own physical children, although they absolutely are targets of the enemy. But I'm also talking about those who you are discipling, teaching, reaching, caring for, new believers, new converts. Hell's greatest fear. We're in a campaign, and I believe it's of God, and God's called us, and we've responded. But hell's greatest fear is not our stewardship campaign. It's not a building that we're trying to build. I don't care if it's 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 80,000 square foot. It's not... If we're on TV ministry or live stream, it, it's not the lights in the building. His greatest fear is that the church of the living God would find the power of multiplication. Because if you make a disciple and that disciple makes a disciple, we just watched a video that said, I came into this church and my pastor, I was a student pastor, and then I went and started reaching someone and this person started weeping going, I taught my sister and my kids and I married my kids here and I, and I, and I, and I married their spouses here and, I, and then my kids are now serving God and they're having kids and my siblings are now in this church. That's hell's greatest fear is when someone has an experience with Jesus Christ and then they go and take that story out into a world that's looking for truth and when that happens and then when we plant a church and that church plants a church we experience exponential growth rather than just trying to hope and invite one person at a time one person at a time no if we start saying no one person who reaches a person who reaches a person who reaches a person one church that is planted that plants another church that plants another church that plants another church multiplication has always been god's idea this is why even though Jesus could have walked around reaching people himself, and he did for a season. Jesus, could he have continued on and made the world tour and just done miracles instead of for about three years? He could have done it for 300 years. He could have done it for 3,000 years. We could still, now we'd have, we'd have special events. So we'd say, join us, preaching at the Life Church next Sunday, Jesus Christ. He's been around for 5,000 years, 3,000 years. 
2,000 years. Oh yeah, join us. He's gonna do signs, wonders, and miracles. It's great, bring your friends. Some people still wouldn't come and still wouldn't bring their friends. But he could have just continued on. It's not like he got tricked. He got duped by the, by the Pharisees and they tripped him up. Oh, if he could have just gone back to that moment in the garden. If he could have just gone back, he could have gotten out of there. He could have left. He could have called angels. He could have, he could have been traveling to this day. But that was not his plan. His plan was, I'm going to come walk planet earth. God manifest in flesh. I'm going to pay the price on Calvary. But then I need to go. We, we read his plan. He tells the disciples, don't be so freaked out. Don't be so afraid. I need to go so that I can come again to you. How? As the comforter. What's the comforter? He tells us, John, which is the Holy Ghost. Instead of me walking around as God manifests in flesh and this human body and trying to reach the world one message at a time, one mountainside at a time, one sermon at a time, instead I want to fill millions of people with my spirit who now are walking, talking miracles themselves and they go reproduce spiritually. And so... That's the power of multiplication. That's why I don't want to just be a dynamic preacher or have good services. My goal is to hopefully multiply myself. My goal is to look like the Apostle Paul and go, follow me like I follow Christ, but not just to be, oh, yes, look at me in my name. No, no, no. I want some Tituses and Timothys and, and people that are going to go out and go change the world long after I'm gone. And here's the thing. The devil cannot stop us. We only stop ourselves when we question his word or we get consumed with our plan rather than his plan. When we forget the mission as a whole, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about in our planning meeting is the mission. What is the mission? My goal in 2023 is not just to have events and fill church calendars. We've got to be about the mission. What's the mission? Well, you look at what the mission is. He says, I came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. I came to seek and save that was lost. And guess what? I'm giving you my spirit to go and do the same. Go there, there likewise and do greater than anything I did. Go make disciples in the whole world. And so you see scripture though tells us in Egypt when they were trying to kill all the Hebrew male babies, Exodus 1, 1 says, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, this should not have happened. They should have been dejected, rejected, discouraged. I mean, they got their, their kids are being thrown into the Nile River. Baby boys are being born. And instead of like us going, I want to go see the sonogram. Is it a boy or a girl? They didn't have that technology. That baby's born. And you're going, on one hand, I want the boy. I want to have the family name live on. The boy, and they're going to be the patriarch. There's going to be spiritual authority in this culture that they had. But on another hand, I want it to be a girl just so I can at least continue to hold my baby. And they don't take it out of my hands and throw it in the river they face that reality but scripture says the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became it seems to me like no matter what the enemy's tactics were they could not ever stop the children of God that's why you read on through the ages and they threw them in lion's dens and they couldn't stop them. They threw them in fiery furnaces and they couldn't stop them. They put them in Roman coliseums and fed them to lions and they couldn't stop them. They tried to cut off their heads and drag them behind chariots and beat them to death with clubs, exile them to islands. They could not stop them because the more the enemy afflicts and multiplies a child of God, God that remains true to their purpose of who they are and what they are called to be, the enemy can never stop when a child of God who is set on fire with the Spirit of God, you can never stop that. 
And so the enemy becomes most alarmed when we begin to multiply. The enemy is not most alarmed when you come and raise your hand, when you've made four Sunday services in a row, when you drop five bucks in the offering, when you say, I'm going to sign up for two ministries instead of one. Those are all wonderful things, and I don't mean to belittle those things, but what makes the enemy the most afraid is when a man or a woman, a child of God says, I'm not content to just sit on a padded chair and have a good service. I want to go into a world that is filled with brokenness, hurt, loss, confusion, and I want to bring some type of truth. I want to go invest in someone. I don't want to just ask someone in the church, where's so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? I ain't seen them around in a while. You know what? I don't even know their name. My Lord, we got to have more people saying, I got to get their number. I got to go take them out to coffee. I got to go knock on the neighbor's door. I know I'm busy, but I'm making room. What am I making room for? I'm making room for what God called me to be and do in the first place. Each time the devil tried to exercise the plan, he wanted to kill all the male babies. He didn't care. He didn't, not the female babies. Why is that? Well, if you understand their culture, and even really our culture, he didn't want a name to be passed down. He specifically attacked men. It's interesting that I prepared last week's message and today's message very far apart from one another, but they say some of the same things. Very interesting. Because there is an attack, as I mentioned last week, on men. Women are special. They have unique and powerful roles in the church. But it should not be women who are always going to the local conferences and special services. Sometimes, I can't just speak in generalities, even Refuge Church, I'll go to a special conference, I'll see 40 women there and five guys. What in the world? It should not be a woman who's always leading the way in prayer meetings. It should not be just women tarrying at altars, seeking God's face. God called men to lead. I know, uh, society, you just say that? It's not belittling a woman because scripturally God called a man to lead. Scripture. Society's attacking this. But God still has a plan. And the devil does not only just not like us. The devil hates us. He's not just like, oh, well, as long as you're, he's, you know, he's okay. with. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates when you worship God. He hates when you tell someone else about his love and his redemption. And he wants to destroy not only you, but your children. In both the Old Testament and New Testament strategies, the devil revealed his plan, his greatest plan to kill the church. And that is kill the babies, kill the cradle. It's the best plan he had. And even today, dare I go here? Abortion is being celebrated as a choice, as liberty. The devil's plan is still to kill the babies. I said, oh, don't get all po political on me today. Abortion is not a Democratic, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party issue. It is a moral issue. Babies are still being killed. There are even bills that there's some are trying to pass that allow murder of a child. Yes, I did say that. Right up to where a mother is due. I even read an article where under certain circumstances, children actually born could have their lives terminated. And you go down the road of deception, anything can be justified. If we lose our children... The church ceases to exist. That's why, for me, I don't want to just fill my, my I don't want to fill our church calendar running from place to place to place to place and then preach God family ministry in word but not in deed. Our first ministry that we're called to is our family. 
If we lose new converts and new babes in Christ, the church eventually ceases to exist. When special speakers come here and say, there's a lot of new faces around here, I think to myself, Lord, I pray that we never get to the place where somebody comes a year later and they know everybody that they met last year. I pray that we always need to have no smoking signs in the bathrooms. That we need security cameras around because we just, not everybody that comes is holy, saved and sanctified. I pray that not every person looks always the exact same way because that means we're not reaching new people. If the church settles for just having good church and turning inward and ceases to live the mission of Jesus Christ, we will cease to exist. The enemy's goal is no longer to kill just you. It's to make sure that you lose track of your kids, to make sure that you don't reproduce yourself spiritually, not in your physical children or new converts that he's called you to minister to and reach. He wants to kill the cradle. And he says when someone's baptized in his name, filled with his spirit, there's new birth there. Those are new babes in Christ, new new babies, new children. We must protect the delivery room. It is not just the church's job when someone is filled with the spirit of God. We go, man... I hope they enter into our growth track, the discipleship program. Good luck to you. I'm hoping a few weeks from now we'll still see you around. But who takes the responsibility to say, I'm going to be a midwife here. I'm going to be here at the altar with my hand on someone praying with them when new birth actually takes place. But then I'm not just going to say, see you, good luck, get your meals, figure it all out. We'll see you back Wednesdays and Sundays. But I'm going to go after him and say, hey, can we get together? I want you to know. I'm here for you. My name's so-and-so. Here's my number. You're going to have some challenges in these upcoming weeks because the devil's not okay with you giving your life to Jesus Christ. The devil's not totally excited about what just happened today. And when you leave this place today, there might be some challenges. And I want you to know when they come, call me because I'm going to be here for you. One was the Old Testament deliverer, one was the New Testament deliverer, and the enemy tried with everything he had to kill both in the cradle. But the midwives protected the cradle. The wise men protected the cradle. And they were blessed by God for protecting the cradle. God's people multiplied and grew all because they didn't let the enemy kill the cradle. You want to be blessed by God today? Can I give you a word of of wisdom, of inspiration from God? Become more aware of new babies in Christ. God will richly bless your life if you become more aware of new babies in Christ. Don't just worry about getting your blessing, but start making disciples, reaching to those around you. The enemy is targeting not only new believers, but he's doing it with new churches too. This is not just a case-by-case individual basis of a new believer. He intentionally goes after anything in its infancy. You would be sad to hear the mortality rate of church plants in America. It's not just because they were all poor. They all didn't have a place to worship. None of them had music. None of them had good preachers. None of them had good something good to offer for kids. The mortality of rate is so high in church plants in America because the enemy will intensify the battle. I believe even greater than some established churches because it's the MO. You look all through scripture and he is going to go after the ones in their infancy. He goes after the individual in their infancy. He goes after the church in its infancy. So you might say, I want to plant a church. Throw me on that list. I'll plant a church. Get ready to go into the greatest battle of your entire life. 
But do you have to be afraid to plant a church? No. You just got to be ready that the battle intensifies. You see, church planters face intense opposition. They go into an unchurched or underchurched city. And if you understand, Scripture says we don't live in a physical realm. We live in a spiritual realm. And we wrestle not against principalities and powers, but against darkness and, 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 and spirits. So guess what? When someone goes into a town, they're not just saying, I'm here to start a church. Where's a good place to have a building? And I got to reach some people. They're actually, that's the physical element of what they're walking into. But then there's the spiritual element of when they come in. And you might say, well, that's getting really wigged out. You're getting crazy out there, okay? But every city has spirits attached to it. Every place that you enter has things that you deal with, that, that there's a spiritual realm that says, hey, I, I control this area. So someone has to walk in that says, no, I have the spirit of God, and I take dominion over this area by the authority of the name of Jesus, the blood of Calvary, the word of God, and the Holy Ghost that fills me. But that does not mean that the spiritual realm now says, all right, we're out. Hey, it's been fun. You guys have a good time. It's been a good city to us. No, he's going to go after your marriage, your kids, the new converts. He's going to go after your plumbing, your car, your roof. He's going to come after everything. Why? Because if he can get to the point where the church planner says, this is not worth it. I'm done here. I'm out of here. Then he goes, hey, Now we can move back in and take back the authority and dominion that we once had. There's a battle. And so what the enemy wants to do is it wants to kill the infant church, to kill the cradle, to discourage, depress, distract, kill the new baby. And so we take an annual Christmas for Christ offering. Why do we do this? Because we want to handle some of the things. If you're dealing with all this, I don't want you to stress about buying a website. I don't want you to stress about paying for your move to go to the city in which God's called you. I don't want you to be worried about how you're going to pay for a special speaker to come in and bring one of the five, the spiritual gifts into your church. Christmas for Christ is going to help fund a lot of those things. We can't always, we can pray and help pray with you about the spiritual side, but God's called you to that area as a church planner. But for us, we want to help to to, to alleviate some of the challenges. And so when we take an offering, it goes in there and it provides resources for people who are already dealing with all these different things. The way the local church has succeeded is with the slogan, Birth must continue. And have you ever thought of this? That when someone starts a new church, chances are that right now, how many was it? It was in America, in North America. I want to look this up. I just got this information. 14 are 14 approved church planners in the state of Missouri. In North America, that's Canada and the United States, there are 387 approved church planners right now in North America. There are 387 places in North America where someone has rolled up their sleeves and they said, I've got to figure out a way to dig out a work in this city. 387 people that right now, that are, are churches, works, that showed up this morning or this afternoon, and some of them had not a single soul show up into their building. And they're right now going, am I actually called to do this? Why did God call me to this city? What am I even doing? Is anything I'm doing even worthwhile? And I wish that we could go to all 387 and go, keep going. You can do this. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Stay in the fight. Stay in the battle. Birth must continue. Why? Because the first day that someone opens the door to a church, it doesn't have, new birth doesn't have to start. It's not like a pregnancy with us where, you know, a lady gets pregnant nine, ten months down the road. She has a, a healthy child, God, you know, hopefully. But with, with, with us, we, we could open up the doors of a church in day one. New birth can start from day one. One, the first day people can start being baptized, repenting of their sins, lives being changed on day one. 
Birth must continue. New birth is in the local church among believers. New birth in planting churches. Our organization must birth something. Our local church must birth something. We personally must birth something. It's God's plan. This is the area of focus for the enemy. There's a reason why not all new believers stand strong for God long term. That's not just a coincidence. There's a reason why so many church plants fail. There's not, this is not just a coincidence. All of hell is attacking the infant. All of hell is going after the new believer that just a week or two or three weeks ago was weeping at an altar, or raising their hands, or getting baptized in these baptismal tanks. And you say, yeah, now that you think of it, we're so-and-so. Where's stones? I ain't seen them in a while. We've got to be aware before they're disappeared and gone. We gotta, we gotta be aware before they're missing. I hope that, that one day I wouldn't wake up one day and two weeks down the road go, Jackie, where's Kira, Jude, and Titus? I haven't seen them in a few weeks. But I pray to God that just a couple hours, I'd say, you know, we might, we might do it even tongue-in-cheek, be funny, say, it's too quiet. Where are those kids at? But we're aware of our babies, that we got to have that same spiritual mi mindset that we say, I, I don't want to realize somebody ain't around when they're already missing. We fill out a missing persons report. Hey, missing from Refuge Church. We ain't seen them in three weeks. Anybody knows where they are? Go ask pastor. He's supposed to know. No, we got to have a group of men and women and kids and youth that say, I'm going to go find somebody. I'm going to call them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to make sure they're doing okay. Why am I saying this? Because I know that today there are church planners in this building, but I'm also fully aware of the fact that there's not, a t it happens, it does happen. Six, the people in their 60s, 70s, they'll go start churches, they plant churches. But I understand that this refuge church, God did not put a burden on my heart to plant churches just to have me be the North American Missions Director in Missouri. He put that burden on my heart because refuge church is in these next 10 years, this next decade, we're going to be planting churches all over the place. We're not just looking to build a physical church. We're going to plant churches. And I know my wife and I have talked about this. This group is not special just to jump up and down and make our services extra exciting. God is calling some of you are going to be doing the very thing that I'm, do I'm talking about today. You're going to be planting churches. You're going to be going into cities. You don't have to stop thinking about this is somebody else down the road some other day. I'm not there yet. No, no, no. You might be sitting here and you haven't even repented of your sins. You haven't even been baptized in Jesus' name. And God might be looking at you going, there's the next church planner. They don't know it yet. They're not aware of it yet. But I already got my eyes on them. I got a place for them. It's going to be a journey and it's going to be preparation and it's not always going to be easy. But God's looking at your generation and he's going, I'm going to have church planners right here. I'm going to have people that are going to roll up their sleeves and go into unchurched and underchurched areas. And God's looking at you and he's looking at some of these young people and he's saying, you got what it takes and I'm calling you and I'm calling you and I'm preparing you. You see, but there's a battle. And in spite of the opposition, Moses was born. And he led God's people out of 430 years of bondage. In spite of the opposition, Jesus Christ was born. And he led people out of a lifetime of sin. And in spite of the opposition that you're going to face, when it's time to plant a church, hope is going to be born. When you begin to teach a Bible study and preach a message, and someone comes up. There's not too many greater feelings. I hate to say the greatest because, you know, you got being filled with the Spirit of God, having your sins washed away, getting married, having that first child. There's a lot of incredible things that you get to look forward to in life. But one of the top five for sure is when you grab some notes and nobody knows and you're driving over to someone's house 
and you're wondering half the time, are they even hearing what I'm saying? I don't even know if this is worth my time. I've taught a couple of Bible studies and nobody's making, nobody's even responding. I don't even know if this is worth it. But then all of a sudden you're teaching someone in a Bible study. Because planting a church is not so much about the pulpit. This is powerful what God does here. But what I do as a pastor, imagine this whole platform. See the size of the pulpit? That's about the size of what I do for preaching versus the rest of pastoring. And so for us, it's not just about the pulpit. One of the greatest things is when you start teaching a Bible study and someone in front of your face kind of is listening and all of a sudden you start to see their face change and their eyes start to well up with tears and they go, I've never seen that before in the Bible. I've taught Bible studies where people will literally be crying and go, why hasn't anyone ever told me that? And you feel the power and the presence of God come into a coffee shop or a house or a classroom or wherever you are. And they're crying as they feel the power. I remember teaching a girl that was an atheist. I won't believe this, but I'll come check it out once. Lesson one ends and she's weeping going, I've never heard this. I have never felt anything like what I just felt in that room. I don't even know what I believe and don't believe, but I know I just felt something in that room that I have never felt before. And as you teach that Bible study, if you're here and you go, I've never taught before, I, I don't really have the notes, I don't really have the personality, I've never done this, don't let the enemy kill that in the infancy stage. You can teach a Bible study. I will help you. I will equip you. I will get you the notes. I will, we will talk about what to teach and how to teach it. I'll send you videos. We will get you ready. And you know what? You're going to go in there, and you're still not going to know the answer to every question in every circumstance, in every situation, but that is what makes you better. Anybody that works a secular job, you didn't start day one going, I know all the answers. If you do, they're going to fire you anyway because nobody's going to like you. <laughs> But you walk in going, I'm teachable, I'm ready, I want to grow, I'm hungry for knowledge, I'm going to teach. And if somebody asks me a question, I don't know, I say, you know what, that's an awesome question and I don't have the answer today, but I promise I'll get it for you by the next time we get together. And then you go research and study and it, and it grows something in you. And when you're teaching someone that, and then they come to you and they, and they again got tears in their eyes and you're praying with them at the altar, you're the midwife up there, so to speak, waiting for the new birth, and then they and they begin to speak in tongues or they stand up and they say today's the day that I want to have my sins washed away in the waters of baptism and I'll tell you if you're the one that's teaching somebody I don't have to baptize them you go ahead and go baptize them you're the one that discipled them you're the one that te taught them and invested in them you taught them you baptize them I don't have to do that and when you baptize somebody, say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you pull them up out of that water and they raise their hands in the water. There is something inside of you that I cannot explain. It's one of the greatest things that you will ever experience. And God is calling more people to do just that. New believer. Don't give up. You're going to be tempted to give up. You might not even, you might be like, I just started coming here in the last two months, six months, eight months, 12 months. Sometimes these people, I still don't understand what they're doing, why they're worshiping, why they're, this lady was screaming, raising her hand. Somebody went running the other day. They done lost their mind. I don't even fully understand the whole Holy Ghost thing. Like, this is crazy. Just don't give up. Don't give up. You're, you, you keep coming because you're feeling something, because God's drawing you. You might not be able to explain it all in depth. You might not be able to take everybody, all your friends to every scripture, but God is just pulling you to greater depths, just like he's pulling me to greater depths. It doesn't mean that you're lower up here and I'm here because I've been here longer. No, we're all growing with God, hungry for him, reaching for him, wanting to know him more. And we're on this journey together. So new believer, you might say, I don't know. This, is, this has gotten hard. I'm fighting all of hell. And you might be. But don't give up. Disciple maker. 
You may have taught veteran saint of God. You might have taught a couple Bible studies. It might have been years since you taught. You might feel like you're not a good teacher. You're a failure. Nobody's ever came into church because you just, maybe this isn't your thing. Go do it again. Don't let the devil get you in the infancy stage of being a great Bible study teacher. Go teach again. Go reach someone again. Go invite them again. Go cover the new believer. God called you to make disciples. Be a midwife. Go work the altars. Start reaching to people who, who you haven't seen in a while. Call them. Track them down. Get their numbers. Say, hey, I'm here to just, I, I, I haven't seen you in a bit. I want you to know I care about you. I know that. I don't even know you that much, but God laid you on my heart. That's powerful. I won't share their story because some of you know them and I, they might even be tuned in online. But somebody that my wife and I have known for several years has recently gone through something. And I woke up at two in the morning this last week. And it wasn't because I was hungry for donuts. That does happen too. And it wasn't because of diabetes, titus diabetes. That happens too. But I opened up my eyes and God literally spoke a name into my heart. So then I went down and got donuts. <laughs> and I was walking around the kitchen praying for this person who has never stepped foot in this church for a service, for other purposes, not for a service. And if he's watching, we love you. And I said... I emailed him that next morning, and I said, man, I ain't trying to pry. I know you've gone through some stuff. I don't know the whole story, but I literally woke out of my bed at 2 in the morning, and God laid you on my heart, and I want you to know that I'm praying for you, and if you ever need someone to talk to, I don't know if I have all the answers. I certainly probably don't, but I'm going to be a listener, and I'm going to be there for you. He emailed back in tears talking about what it meant, and he started to tell me all the things that he's going through. I don't know what the end of the story is, but for me, I want you to know that I'm always trying to sow seed. I wish I was always blocking off pews for all my guests, but I've ne I never stopped trying to sow seed, invite, invest in someone, talk to someone, share a story, ask him to come. I just got these goofy glasses. I told the lady that she needed to be here today to support me as I put them on for the first time. She said, well, I might have to. Well, she didn't show up today, but I'm going to keep inviting her because I got to go back and get these goofy wipes for them that they didn't have. But for me, it's always, we just went into Verizon. He told me he was going to come a couple weeks ago. My friend at Verizon, everywhere I go, I'm trying to invite someone, to invest in someone. Why? It's not because oh, I just want to grow the church. Oh, we need money. Oh, I think I'm a good preacher. They need to come see me. It's none of that. It's because I look at someone and I see sometimes in their eyes and their face hurting brokenness looking for something even if they're not I go God loves this person so much and if they will just give him a chance their whole life will be changed but I look past their life because I see where I came from with my dad's story it's more than one generation when you get a generation in service in church and God changes their lives you're talking about multiple generations that are touched and changed forever and ever and ever. The power of multiplication just by one moment. So don't get caught up in just, in just oh, I live my life, I do my thing, and, and, and I'll just see if God ever opens the door. Get creative. Go find someone into the church planter, the future church planter. It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary at times. But I believe as I have you stand today, you can stand to your feet. That you're getting ready and there's going to be some of you that walk to an altar today. That bow a knee and raise a hand and put your head down. Maybe put your head up. And God's going to speak to you. And he's going to say, the pastor, the preacher, was talking to you today. And you'll never forget what's today, December 4th, 2022. For me, God called me clearly on a choir tour in my junior year. I can't tell you the exact date, but I can tell you the location, where I was, what he said, and what season it was, and what was going on in my life. And for someone here, God might just call you to give a Christmas for Christ offering, so we're taking today. But for someone else, he might say, this is the beginning of a journey. 
look at me right now. Because some of us automatically think he's talking to somebody else. But just look at me and go, he might be talking to me. Just say it right now. Just say it right now. Just point to yourself and say, he might be talking to me. Oh, I don't know about all that. Yeah, I've read that story before. Moses, actually, the one that God had his hand on and saved him from being killed as an infant. <laughs> he says, I've kept you for such a time as this. It's like Esther, right? Moses, oh, I'm the ignorant and unlearned. I don't think you got the right guy. You want me to go walk back in there? I don't think I'm the... And some of y'all are sitting here doing the same thing. That's fine. God's worked with people like you for thousands of years. People that are going, I don't know about me. <laughs> I think that good message, Pastor. Not me. Nope. And God's just sitting here going, man, I got another Moses on my hands. I got another Esther on my hands. I got another. Yep. I've called disciples like this. <sighs> just give me some time. So I can get them ready for what it is that I'm calling them to do. The enemy's going after the cradle. We need some spiritual midwives that are going to help guide the birth process. They're going to help protect the babies. They're going to start saying, I got to go reach a city. I got to go invest in someone. This is not just about me. It's about the mission. And I invite you on this Sunday afternoon to find a place to pray and to talk to the Lord about whatever he is laying on your heart because it's certainly not giving up. That's not what he's laying on your heart. It might be a season. You might be going through some things. That's fine. Take the season. It's a season of preparation, of health, of spiritual growth. But don't ever retire. Don't ever say, I'm done. I'm coming off the lines of active duty. That's not His will for your life. You might change what active duty looks like. It might look different than it did a few weeks or months ago or years ago. But do not retire from active duty in the kingdom. <laughs> 